The passage this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes not only to the church in Ephesus, but to all of us who are the church. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, sorry, we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let us pray. Father God, a powerful word indeed is before us this morning. A powerful testimony that Paul has to tell us about the nature of our relationship with you. Help us to be moved into greater love and fellowship with you, our glorious God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word this morning. We ask this not in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. During Sunday school, we were going over um, and glancing over, really, uh, it was too much for me, uh, the life of John Calvin. And it's, as I mentioned in that Sunday school class, it is very appropriate that now we begin a series in his favorite book of scripture, uh, the book of Ephesians, especially because Ephesians begins with talking about something that John Calvin um, boldly taught about, not because John Calvin came up with it, but because he knew the book of Ephesians well. He knew what the scriptures taught, and he lived by the implications of that. This is an easy book to love. It teaches us how we have been raised from death to life. It lets us know about the depths of God's love, the security we now have in Christ. And the book has a maturing effect on the believer, uh, how we can be unshamed about how God has planned to save us and his power. This book encourages us to be Christians who communicate with one another a little differently. To resolve disagreements and differences in a way that's unlike the world. To grow in changing our bad habits. To care about things like the sacredness of marriage. To consider spiritual battles in a whole new light. And even heaven itself and more. This is a beautiful letter. And it's really, in one sense, a brief catechism. Not too unlike the catechism we just finished today reading through this year, the Heidelberg. And what do I mean by that? I mean the fact that while we tend to call this letter 
the letter to the Ephesians, and that's a good name. As modern archaeologists have dug up books of Scripture, uh, they found other New Testament copies of this book written to other churches. The same book written in certain ways. I'm sure plenty of you, you know, with Christmas gifts, had a few gifts that you changed the name on the two name, and, and, but it's still from you. But you said, you know, this one's to Betsy and this one's to John. Same gift. Uh, that's a little bit like the book of Ephesians. It's really a gift to every church. Um, so, for example, we know that Laodicea got a personalized copy of this book we call Ephesians. In seminary, also, this book is by far the book I was, of Scripture I was asked to read more than any other. I had one professor in one class who, in a 12-week class, uh, on top of all the other readings, said, I want you to read Ephesians a minimum of six times during the course. Because while this book doesn't take long to sit through and to read, really about 20 minutes, there is a unique depth to this book. And so how does the Apostle Paul begin? He starts by saying something we know. He's an apostle. That's nothing too profound. But really, it's what he puts right after that that begins to set the tone of what will be the first two chapters of Ephesians. He says, I'm an apostle, not because I wanted to be, not because I chose to be. No, Paul says, I'm an apostle because God decided to make me one. And really, with Paul, that's not that surprising. He's the apostle of the Damascus Road experience. He had been bloodthirsty towards Christians, but God reached down, grabbed a hold of Paul's heart, changed him in such a way that by the end of his life, he gave up his life as a testimony to the truth of Christ. And so Paul begins Ephesians by saying, yes, I'm an apostle, but the only reason I'm an apostle is because God willed it to be so. It's not, my, it's not of my own doing. And then he says something else in the second half of verse 1 we would typically glance over as well as Christians does he write this letter to all of the church of Ephesus he's about to give a blessing if you look at that verse does he write it to all the church of Ephesus he doesn't he says May this letter basically be a blessing to the faithful members. To be a recipient of this blessing of true grace and peace, Paul says uh, that he is about going to apostolically proclaim. He, he, to really have that blessing, you need to be a faithful, abiding believer. That's really one of the tenets of even the Reformation itself. There are plenty of those who will represent Christianity in various uh, ways and, and try to make everybody comfortable with their Christian faith, wherever it is. And yet, Paul doesn't give a blessing of grace and peace broadly to the entire church. He says, the entire church is being faithful. Paul's apostolic blessing is for them. And so it's okay, and we should be asking ourselves, are we among the faithful? How do we know we're among the faithful? 
And actually, I think in one sense, we know we're among the faithful if you start to understand and you really know the implications of what Paul is talking about in these blessings. The first blessing he pronounces is grace to you. Which we say that word grace so often we forget what it means. But another way of saying grace is may God's favor be upon you even though you don't deserve it. And then there's a second half. When you receive God's favor even though you don't deserve it, there is peace that comes from that. And that's also something we say so often we forget its meaning. Meaning. But the peace of God means we begin to worry less and less about fearing whether or not we're going to be judged by God or whether we might not be saved by God, but we just begin to act and respond to God in love. We have this freeing reality to our relationship with God, a sufficient peace that can sustain us. That's Paul's idea of peace. And so only the richly faithful start to really get a handle of that kind of grace and peace. A faithful relationship will change us. Imagine if I said um, the following. My wife and I, we've been married now uh, for 14 years. And I said, there's one thing I know for certain. My marriage hasn't changed me in the slightest. I still live as a bachelor. I go do whatever I want. I come and go. I buy whatever I want. Uh, I don't go out on dates with her. I don't spend any time with her. I haven't changed at all. What would you think of me or think of such a husband? What would you think of such a relationship? Oh, that's not a very faithful husband. That's no husband at all. You would think, how sad is that? Because it's impossible to be in any kind of intimate relationship, whether marriage or a close friendship and to not be changed by the other person. The only way for them not to change you is if you really haven't been faithful to engage with them. The same is true of God's grace, of God's peace, of of being faithful to God in a way that is infinitely more deep and uh, an infinitely greater reality. But there are plenty of people living lives thinking that, oh, I'm saved by Jesus. And yet, really, they just continue to live by the beat of their own drum, not his. And then as Paul considers faith and grace and peace and how they all work together, he writes a big run-on sentence. From verses 3 to 14 in the Greek, that's really one sentence. Um, and it's, it's really kind of a psalm. It's a poem. It's a song. He begins to just write this poetry down because he's, he's contemplating God's grace, God's peace, uh, the faith that we have in, in God, and, and it just delights him to the point of writing poetry. It's not so unlike what King David used to do. And so it's this beautiful poetic dirge. Um, And actually, it made me think, because here Paul writes Ephesians, and he begins really with this song. And we know 
the Gospel of Luke was written really in the company of Paul. Um, and the Gospel of Luke, if I just have it in mind because we're of the season, time of year we're in, the Gospel of Luke opens like a musical. All of a sudden, everybody's singing. Angels are singing, Mary's singing, Elizabeth's singing, uh, songs everywhere. It's a musical to start. So I, I just think about Luke and, and Paul, how they begin these writings of theirs with songs. That says something. In our devotional lives as Christians, we don't just read to have this cold understanding. We don't just uh, listen to the preached word in order to learn more things or learn about heady doctrines or teaching. But really, we're meant to sing about it. We're meant to have a visceral joy about it. And especially, I speak especially to those still faithfully watching at home. I would encourage you to to be in song to the Lord, to spend some time, uh, times at moments in your devotional routines to really be singing songs that praise the Lord. There's beauty in it. And Paul's, Paul really sees that at the beginning of Ephesians here. And how does this song begin in Ephesians? It begins by focusing on the Father. The Father who has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked a lot about prayer in the last couple weeks uh, through Bruce's series. Uh, How we pray, why do we pray, what do we pray, the way we pray. Notice that Paul's song begins, in one sense, a little bit like the Our Father. It begins rooted in the Father. It begins by praising Him, by praising the gift of His glorious Son. And what's so great about that Son? Paul poetically writes that in Christ we have every kind of spiritual blessing. I love the quote by R.C. Sproul at the front of your bulletin. Um, the fact that God doesn't promise us in this life we'll get everything we want, but we will get everything we ever need spiritually to remain faithful to him, to, ble- to be blessed. And so what Paul is saying here is heaven is just not some place that we go to die. But we have access to heaven in the here and now through the personal work of Jesus Christ. In one sense, Jesus is almost like a portal to heaven, a window to heaven, that we have access to God through the Son of God, who is the fullness of deity. And there is something else to be found in how Paul begins this song. Paul is echoing verses in the Old Testament, verses of blessing, verses that we can find in places such as 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 32. 1 Kings chapter 1, 48, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 36, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 11, Psalm 41, verse 13, Psalm 72, verse 18, and more. And yet, Paul is doing something to these Old Testament verses. He's making the lyrics clear for us, the believer. Let me illustrate this the following way. <clears throat> Watch your ears. On February 7th, 2021, there will be the greatest NFL football team of the season. They will win the Super Bowl. They're so wonderful. Their team outperformed every other team in the playoffs. Was that a great song? No, I'm tone deaf. Of course it wasn't a great song. Was it a very specific song? No. We don't know who that team is. Now let's imagine the Eagles have no shot to get to the Super Bowl. So let's 
all picture Terry Smith in our mind, for those of you who know Terry Smith. (laughs) Terry Smith is an unapologetic New Orleans Saints fan. Uh, he, He rarely can have a conversation with me where he doesn't say who dat or talk about how when the Saints go marching in, it's the most wonderful Christian song in history, or uh, he even this year we didn't decorate a tree downstairs, but he he has a tree in our church always decorated with saints emblems. Let's imagine the saints win the Super Bowl on February 7, 2021, and you're around Terry Smith. What is Terry Smith going to sound like? What is his song of praise going to sound like? It's going to be very specific, you know, who that's, uh, and when the saints go marching in galore, and all sorts of things, we'll hear about how, you know, Drew Brees is the most wonderful quarterback in the NFL, and all these things, because something's now been revealed. There's now more information that gives a a deeper intimacy to the song. That's a little bit like what Paul's doing with this poem. He's echoing the Old Testament songs, but he's, he's revealing them a little more intimately. Because they could only dream of the victory that they, we now have seen through Christ. And so Paul wants us to get excited about the fact that we know the terms of God's victory, of how God secures us to him over spiritual forces of evil and sin and death, that we have a clear vantage point. He wants us to appreciate that. And then in the remaining verses of our text today, verses 4 through 6, Paul's going to pull the curtain back a little more uh, to reveal more about God than, frankly, some even in Christianity are comfortable knowing about God. There's a whole ethos in Christianity that, in one sense, wants to take a black sharpie to verses like this one because it reveals something about God's sovereignty and God's control that we, at first, being those sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, you know, who want to be our own God, say, no, 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 no. We don't want God to have control like that. But I hope by the time, especially as we get through these first two chapters of Ephesians, that as we're in this text, you develop a healthier comfort with giving God the appropriate kind of credit he deserves when it comes to the matter of our salvation. I hope you notice that Paul's going to be very at home in this letter, right at the start, talking about God's sovereignty. We don't have to be sheepish about this doctrine if the Apostle Paul wasn't sheepish about this doctrine. He talks about how God chose us here. It's actually the same word used in the Gospels for when God chose the disciples who would become his apostles. He's, Paul's basically saying, you think I'm chosen as an apostle? You've been chosen in the same way. If you've ever opened your Bible, especially the gospel, and you've said, oh, I wish I could have shared moments with Jesus like that. I wish I could have been chosen to walk around my entire, you know, my life with him. Paul's saying, hey, you already have it. 
You already have it if you're part of the faithful. You've received that. You've been given that same kind of relationship where the Lord and Savior walks beside you faithfully in every peak and in every valley in life, just as he walked alongside of his disciples. He's chosen to be with you. And when did God pick the faithful according to verse 4 by Paul? Was it when Adam and Eve fell into sin? Was it after he died on the cross? Was it after you started to attend church? Or said some prayer? When was it? According to verse 4. I'm going to let you guys say it. Before the foundation of the world. So, is that before God creating the heavens and earth in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1, or after Genesis 1, 1. It's before. It's before. God picked you to be his child even before he created a single thing. He decided he would choose you to be his before God spoke even a single word in his creative power. He already had you in mind. Before there was ever a cosmos, before there was ever a universe, before there was ever a world, before there was matter, before there was DNA, before there were protons and electrons, God had a plan. And his plan for this great universe and this great creation, the creator of all things had you in mind as a part of his plan. And God's plan for you doesn't stop there. His plan is for you to grow more holy in his sight. And to be blameless, don't be able to be blamed for anything. Which is just staggering on so many levels. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm not against the idea of when I come back to the pulpit here in a, in a few weeks to, to returning to this verse. I'm, I'm still debating the idea. I'm really thankful that Bruce and I on Christmas Eve both had a similar conversation of basically saying, we're not sure if we're going to be able to go to Ephesians at the same pace that we originally set out and outlined. Because this is a staggering reality on, on many levels. But I, I really think in verse 4 alone, I could probably preach at least five sermons on it. Totally different sermons. But let's focus on this today. God chose you before he ever made anything you faithful Christian. But let me look at one implication of this truth. For now, uh, for now. But one thing that this truth helps bless me in, honestly, with my walk. How is your self-speak as a Christian? Christian? I'll be honest. I am, uh, my self-speak is pretty awful. Uh, I tend to be my own worst critic. My wife was just mocking me downstairs. She asked me, how did Sunday school go? And I went, I don't know, that sort of stuff. I don't like it. Um, many of you have come to learn the reality that I don't accept a compliment well. It's, um, I get caught up in every little mistake I tend to make. and it, It's really an unhealthy cycle. It's not good to live that way. Uh, to be overly harsh on oneself. Um, And why I get into this is the following reason. If you sometimes struggle in similar kinds of ways, if you're so worried about your failings or what others might judge you to be, and 
and it just is unhealthy for you? Do you see how liberating the truth of God's choosing us before the foundation of the world is to that kind of cycle? Of that cycle of being the harsh critic of ourselves? Because we can understand that God chose us before we ever had a chance to do anything right or wrong. Before any matter was ever created, before we ever existed, God loved us and picked us to be made, to be set in motion, a chain of events that would allow us to to be alive, to us being here, in order that he might have you and I, so that we could be changed by him and grow in holiness and become faithful. So that we might be rooted in his love. So next time we want to be critical of ourselves. We can remember as followers, adopted sons and daughters of our God. Part of his purpose is for us to understand how loved we are. We don't need to be so hard on ourselves. And, And... I look, and also, he also attaches this element to it too. You're more than just love, but you're also a part of his plan. You're also a part of the story. You know, if I told you I was in the original Star Wars movie, you would say, Kevin, you're not in the original Star Wars movie. No, 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 I was in the film. I was the Jedi. You know, I was, I was one of the Jedi. I guess, yeah, I guess there's only Obi-Wan and Luke, and then there was Kevin, there was me. I was, I, was behind the, uh, I was behind the sets, but I was there. Um, type of joke my kid, children hear all the time from me. You know, the, the silliness is it, you aren't a part of that story. That's not your story. But Paul is actually saying here, you Christian, I don't care who you are. You're a part of the saving work of Jesus Christ. You're a part of his story. You're a part of his movie. You're a part of his plan. Yes, we read about Jesus in the Gospels. But just because it's not written down, you're also a part of Jesus' story of redemption. And that's a beautiful, freeing thing. So when I look around at faces of this church in this moment, here and now, in this tiny congregation in a tiny town in a, in a nation that continues to care less and less about Christianity in the public square. We become to, we are seemingly inconsequential on the grand stage. And yet, because we're a part of his story, we matter in a way that is infinitely deep and profound. And so this song of Paul, its opening lyrics begin with, God has a purpose for you and I in the fluttering of our lives. And God will use the fluttering of our lives to have ripple effects throughout eternity. And we will have access to him forever. And so if God can love us even before we were created, we don't need to be so critical or seeking Uh, others approval we have the approval and love of God you know you know where Paul writes these verses he tells us yes prison 
He tells us, he will tell us in chapter 6, verse 20. He writes these verses about God's ordained plan from prison. An incredible thing. I mean, if I'm in prison, I'm going to mope. You know, uh, we're, we're driving across the country. I'm sure I'm going to violate some COVID law somewhere. And you know what? If I got to call Bruce and go, Bruce, you know, Governor Newsom uh, of California arrested me for some reason. I'll be like, it's not going to be like, it's wonderful. I'm going to be like, no, this is stinks. Um, I guess I shouldn't say stinks from the pulpit. But it still would, I would say it stinks. Paul says, have joy. Sing about these things. Because God's going to use it. So brother and sister in Christ, you are God's precious child. And he's head over heels in love with you. And why wouldn't you want to be faithful to a God like that? Let me close with this illustration. You know, I often will joke with my wife about the fact that she came on too quick. You know, she, she, she had set her cards out on the table too quick. And I was sort of on the father and son, Cat Stevens kind of relationship when we first met. And I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, you know, the one thing I had kept hearing from pretty much everybody, except my brother, uh, my brother gave me good advice, was the last thing you want to do when you're a senior in college is to get in a serious relationship. You know, do as Cat Stevens' song says, uh, find a, uh, you know, first go get the career. Here, I wrote the lyrics. Oh, yeah, find a girl, settle down. If you want, you can marry. But first, you know, kind of find the career before you do those sorts of things. And... And so there kind of came the critical moment of our relationship. And it was this discussion, I basically said, we're just going to have to be friends. I'm not supposed to be, I gave her the lame reason I give you now, I'm not supposed to be in a serious relationship with you. I'm about to go into the working world and, you know, start the career and do all that stuff first. So let's just be friends. She looks at me and she goes, through tears, but... I can't be friends with you. It's either all or nothing. And at first, my, my thought was, no. And so we actually we broke up. Broke up, but it bothered me. You know, this girl couldn't be my friend. Why couldn't we be friends? And it bothered me so much that I realized I didn't want to just be friends with this girl because I really did love this girl. She was, had this unique intelligence and beauty, and, and even her quirks I found hilarious. You know, even her little idiosyncrasies. And so I realized that I wanted to have a more intimate relationship with her, and of course, she's, we eventually got married. And the fruit of that relationship is here in the front row. And the fruit also is in how she's changed me over the years. And I've changed her over the years. And it's fruit in ways that are hard to, you know, even comprehend. We couldn't write even a small fraction of all the ways that we have changed one another. And in one sense, as the book of Ephesians starts, this letter, this book of Paul, he said, he's telling us, Christ loves you. Your God loves you. And 
faithful Christian, he wants to change you in such a way that it, it changes, has ripple effects for eternity for you. And so come and be changed. Come and experience this kind of God. That's the kind of idea that Paul is talking about. The kind of love that can be taken to the depths of eternity and forever and blended uh, with the perfect love of God. Uh, and, and that is really what this letter of Ephesians is about. God has set his love on you before time itself in order that it might entirely change you. He's not satisfied with a platonic kind of relationship that lacks true intimacy. But he has set his love upon you before there was even time. He didn't want to even create this universe if you were not a part of it because he wanted you in it. In order that you might be his. And so if you are a part of that faithful, those chosen by God, it's going to produce fruit. It's going to change you, even when you might not understand it at first. You're going to begin to see God's hand working and blessing you in new kinds of ways. And so, brother and sister in Christ, may you be found joyfully praising the love that God has set upon you by song, by word, by deed. And when you consider the personal work of Jesus... That, a God is so, that God is so deeply committed to you. May it change you when it comes to your faith, your hopes, and your love. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of what you have revealed to us this morning in your word. That before there was anything, you decided to set your love upon us. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is, the, he is the bridge. He is the portal by which we can grow in holiness. And, and, and grow in love. Towards you our saving God. We thank you for your sovereign hand. And your sovereign plan. We thank you that even though. We worry about the chaos and the storms of this life. That through it all. We know we are connected to the redemption deeming story of our God that we have a part to play and that part we will sing about in joy for all eternity we praise you for this truth in Jesus name amen